This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Welcome to church this morning. You are the smart ones who stay in your duvets when it's still 8 o'clock on a cold day and come when the sun is out. Smart, smart people. So when you were, um, when you were four years old, lying on the floor um, in pick and pay, flailing around arms and legs as if you'd just been zapped by a taser because you, because you couldn't get a big bag of jelly tarts from your mom, it's likely that she would have dispensed some invaluable advice to you at that moment. As she carried on pushing a trolley down the aisle, she would have said, my boy, money does not grow on trees. And she's right, of course. Um, it doesn't grow on trees. But the Bible says it is the root, the love of money is the root of all evil. And it's an age-old pursuit for us, for humanity. For years and years, we've chased after riches. We do it constantly. It's, it's getting more and more of a trend, more stuff, bigger things. We just want more and more and more, as much as we can get out of this life. Take, for example, the former Romanian dictator, Nicolae Ceausescu. So he commissioned the building of a 365,000 square meter building in the capital, Bucharest, known as the Palace of Parliament. Some pics of the outside of it. In 1984, a team of 700 architects, together with 24,000 workers, toiled in three shifts, 24 hours a day, for five years to build the planned 3,200-room marble monstrosity. They leveled 15 surrounding districts to make space for it. They brought in 1 million cubic meters of marble in 700 train loads from Transylvania. I didn't know that Transylvania was actually a real place. I thought it was just a fabled birthplace of Dracula. But anyway, and they stripped entire forests of oak and elm and sweet cherry for the floors and the finishes. And there are millions of meters. We can go to some of the inside pics there. There are millions of meters of carpeting, 2,800 chandeliers and windows that are 17 meters high with matching curtains. There are rooms inside this palace that are so vast that they can swallow up the entire Wembley Stadium. Below the ground, there are five levels of parking, a private train tunnel to the airport, and a nuclear bunker made with 1.5 meter thick concrete walls. It is the heaviest building in the world, weighing in at over 4 billion kilograms. And every year, it sinks a further 6 millimeters into the ground. There was a balcony um, erected on the one side from which Ceausescu was going to address his adoring people. But before he could step foot on that balcony, they shot him, dead. Only one person has spoken from that balcony and that is Michael Jackson, who stood up there with his little white glove and said, I love you, Budapest. 
This building is in Bucharest, not Budapest. The building remains unfinished today, um, and the impoverished people of Romania have no idea what to do with it or how to pay for it. it to date, it has cost in excess of three billion US dollars to build. It would cost far too much to demolish it, so they keep building it still today. After the dictator was shot on Christmas Day in 1989, so today it stands as a monument to us of the folly of man and his money. And we can gawk and we can scoff at such an extreme case of ostentation, but if we're really honest with ourselves, at some level or another, be it a much smaller level, we too pursue worldly riches. We pursue the extremes. We want more. We want lavishness. We want to make a success of ourselves and our businesses. We pursue careers. We want the next best thing: brand new pair of sneakers, a new phone, a house on Fan Court, the brand new Mercedes Benz. We want to build the biggest building in the world. You know, when I entered the workforce at the ripe old age of 16. I earned eight rand fifty an hour, at, and I was working at Nina's Pizzas, four-hour shifts, a couple times a week. Then afterwards, when I when I finished school, my first salary was a thousand five hundred rand a month. Soon it was five thousand rand. Later it was ten. And as money comes, stuff comes. All of a sudden, I can afford things. I can buy things now. And then we shift the goalposts. I have A, B, C, but if I got to twenty thousand, I could get X, Y, and Z. And when I get to twenty, oh, if I could just get to thirty, if I could just get there, then I could have so much more. And then fifty, and so we go. The question we must have an answer for is how much. Do you need to be happy? Because the world has an answer to that question, and it bombards us with the answer all the time. And if you don't have an answer for yourself, the loudest voice is going to win. How much do you need to be happy? What's the world's answer? Just a little bit more. Just a bit more. It dangles this carrot in front of us that says, "What you don't have is what you need to be happy and fulfilled. Just what you don't have, just that that little bit more, is going to what's make is going to be what will make you happy." And Jesus was aware of this. In the Gospel of Luke, he warns the crowd in Luke twelve verse fifteen, "Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist." In an abundance of possessions, other translations say life is not measured by how much you own. Jesus is saying, "Be careful. Life is not measured by all the stuff you have. You need to guard yourself against the greed of wanting more and more material things." He then goes on to tell this parable, verse sixteen, and he told them this parable: the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, "What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops." Then he said, "This is what I'll do: I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, 
and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Okay, so it's important to note this. God is not mad at this guy because he's rich. Let's be real. Farming consists of a few ingredients. Sunshine, water, and good soil. It's undeniable that God is directly linked in providing those three things. He has made this man rich. Riches are not the problem. It's the discontentment. We can have grains, barns full of grain and banks full of buffaloes, but it's the discontentment and the greed of wanting more and more stuff, not knowing when enough is enough. And this results in us not being rich towards God. And being rich towards God is what we're going to focus on a little later. But this morning I've got, I've got good news and I've got bad news. I'm not going to ask you which one you want first. I'm giving you the good news. Straight up. The good news is you are rich. Huh, okay. Didn't get that response in the first service. It was more like... Uh, he's confused. Uh, has he seen my bank account? Say it with me. Declare it. I am rich. I am rich. Okay, you're also a lot more convinced than the 8 a.m. are. Your eyes have been opened by 10 a.m. But I can hear that, that there's still some, some doubt, so I'm going to prove it. A report published by Oxfam in January of this year revealed that since the beginning of 2020, a total of 42 trillion U.S. dollars of new wealth has been created. 42 trillion U.S. dollars. 26 trillion, that is 63% of all new wealth, was captured by the richest 1% of the world. While 16 trillion, that's the remaining 30%, 37%, excuse me, went to the rest of the world put together. A little closer to home, the World Inequality Database reports that today the top 10% of South African earners take home 60%, 65%, excuse me, of the total national income. And the bottom 50% take home just 5.3%. Where do you think you stand on that ladder? In that percentage, where, where about are you? I'm going to tell you. The average adult's income in South Africa is 14,688 rand a month. I have no idea where you stand in relation to that figure. I'm, I'm fairly sure there are many of you or anything from a few to many thousands upward of that figure. But I'm also sure there are a few of you who are under that figure. That's the nature of an average. But if you find yourself anywhere around that number... You are in the top 18% of earners in South Africa. 82% of the population is poorer than what you are. That makes you like an A-grade student when it comes to earning money. You get an 82% mark for earning money. More than 3 billion people in the world live on $2 a day. 
That is 38 rands. That equates to just over a thousand rand a month. There are people in this room whose iPhone contracts cost the same amount. You are rich. Not convinced? I'm going to carry on. You know that kind of box-shaped thing in your kitchen? You go to it and you open it and food comes out? When last did you have to chase down a kudu? Or reap your whole harvest of sweet potatoes just to make a meal? All we do is we go to a fridge, we open up, and generally we stand there and say, oh, we've got no food. You're rich. What about when you take out that device in your pocket? It has more computing power than the supercomputers of the 1980s in your pocket. You open YouTube, want to watch a video, the little circle comes up and starts chasing its tail. And you get frustrated because the signal coming from the outer corners of the universe is taking a few seconds longer than you'd like it to. You are rich. You know the car you drive that parks in your garage? You're so rich, even your car owns its own house. So say again, I am rich. Yes, the good news this morning is that you're rich. You're blessed beyond measure. And that's fantastic. That's nothing to be ashamed of. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 19, he says, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. Wealth and riches are a gift from God and they are to be enjoyed. Remember, the Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil. But here's where we get to the bad news. If the good news is that you're rich, what's the bad news? The bad news is that you're rich. Further on in chapter 18 of the Gospel of Luke, we read the story of the rich young ruler who asks Jesus, what do you must do to inherit eternal life? Jesus first tells him he needs to keep the commandments, and he says he's been doing that since he was young all his life. And then we read in verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. What's the problem here? Could the guy not get in because he was rich? Did did they not have like a heavenly cable car big enough to put all his stuff in so he could take it up with him? Being rich and having stuff wasn't the problem here. The rich young ruler couldn't do as Jesus suggested because he couldn't let go. He couldn't let go. And I I imagine him in that moment, he was probably just thinking, like, I've worked so hard my life. I've I've, I've toiled for for all of this. I've been wise. I've I've spent. I've I've invested. I've been building my own empire. And then Jesus comes along and challenges that. 
He's created security and, and, and certainty in everything that he was building. And then the Lord comes along and says, can you let it go? He was challenged to switch his allegiance from his own kingdom to God's kingdom. And he just couldn't do it. The things he possessed now possessed him. What, what was he doing in that moment? He was counting the cost. He was counting the cost of following Jesus. And he found that it was too expensive. How's that for irony? The rich young ruler with everything that he had found the cost of following Jesus just too expensive. And that's what each of us need to do. Again and again, we need to count the cost. Because many of us love the benefits of following Jesus, but we don't like the price we have to pay. We don't like how much it costs. Great crowds had started to follow Jesus for his benefits, what they could get from him. They followed him around until things got a little bit, Jesus wasn't so, so famous anymore and the crowds were going to dwindle. Because there's a cost to following him. And he addresses the crowd in, in, in Luke 14 and he puts an end to the idea that this gift of salvation that he's offering is just another welfare program. He says in verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and child and, children's, and, ch- sorry, and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Yeah, when, we, when we make that decision and, and, and we come to Jesus and we ask for the gift of eternal life, it's given to us freely. But it does come with some T's and C's. And we need to agree to them. It requires a transfer of ownership. It requires us to, to give of our life, to sign our lives over to Jesus, to say, Lord, you take control. We deny ourselves, we pick up our cross, and we choose to follow you. That transfer has a cost. And the more stuff we have, the more worldly riches we've acquired, the harder it is for that transfer of ownership to happen. I don't know how many of you have been part of like an estate that's, that's been wound up. If it's simple and clear-cut, it's still going to take up to two years, 18 months, two years. When there's trusts and assets and land and property and all sorts of things, it takes even longer. It's the same transaction in heaven. When we have to hand over ownership and we've just got so much stuff, it's difficult to let go. We have to ask ourselves, am I willing to pay the price of following Jesus? Luke 9 verses 23, Jesus is is addressing his disciples and he says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost. 
Jesus is explaining to his disciples the paradox of making the most of our lives. He says that if you want to make the most of your life, you've got to give it away. And then he says, what is it? What, what gain is it? What is it to a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses the most important thing, his soul, his salvation? What good is pursuing everything the world has to offer, only to find out that at the end of the day, you have nothing? Having tasted, it, tasted this concept, the actor Jim Carrey said, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they dreamed of so that they can see that it is not the answer. Jesus says, deny yourself. The world says, deny yourself nothing. Even Jim Carrey says to the world, that is not the answer. It is not the answer to deny yourself nothing. I know you want to make the most of your life. I'm sure of it. I don't have to ask you. But which, which way, how are you going about it? Are you going about it the world's way? Pursuing success and, and worldly riches and status and, and fame and glory for yourself? Or are you going about it Jesus' way? Denying yourself. Giving up your life for him. And it's hard. I know it's hard. The world is shoving this message down our throats day in and day out. You need just that little bit more. What you've got is not enough. You need more. Deny yourself nothing. Build your own empire. Come on. Pick yourself up. Let's go. We're like magpies with shiny objects. Caring about our business until we see the next shiny thing. And we swoop down and we're on it. Interested in, in everything that shines. So going back to our first scripture, how do we approach money and wealth in a way that avoids us being called a fool by God and instead getting applauded for being rich towards God? Okay, three things. Number one, think like a steward, not like an owner. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. We've got to get this. We have to, have to get this. Nothing we have truly belongs to us. Earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. If you drove here this morning, the car you own does not belong to you. If you're watching this online on a device or a TV, it does not belong to you. The very clothes you are wearing right now, they do not belong to you. I just appreciate if you don't try to give them back right now. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything you have is on loan from God. He is the owner and we are merely stewards of everything he gives. So what does that mean? It means freedom. It means liberty to be generous with God's money. I have an insider parent tip for you. This is one that they don't often tell you. So if there's any new parents in the house, just turn the speakers up in the baby rooms there. This is invaluable advice. 
Don't encourage your kids to make friends. I tell you, everyone runs around trying to make play date after play date to make sure that little Susie has enough friends. She must have friends. And then you wake up a few years later and you realize that for all 52 Saturdays of a year, you are at a kid's birthday party and your bank account doesn't know what hit it. Those things cost. A gift for every child costs a lot of money. You know, you walk into, you walk into the toy store and you go straight over to the little thingy, you know, that little sticky guy you throw on the wall, and you're like stickily flex back down all the way down to the thing. You're like, this is good. And you look over, and, and little Susie is there in the middle of the room on a shiny life-size unicorn saying, let's get this one, Daddy. And in that moment, you learn a very good lesson. It's easy to be generous with someone else's money. So why aren't we that way? With our money. Because we think we own it. When we realize that what we have, we don't own, all of a sudden we can be generous with it. We can start to to give. It becomes so much easier. We can become extravagant givers. So let's think about the concept of tithing. So the the best known verse on on tithing is, is Malachi 3 verses 10. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. I'm going to stop there. What's that first word? Bring. Why doesn't it say give the whole tithe? Because you cannot give what you do not own. You can't give what you don't own. We just need to bring it back. Suppose you're standing on a street and someone comes up to you with a thousand rand, 10 100 rand notes, pops it in your hand and says, won't you just hang on to this for me? I just need to go back to my car. I forgot something. I'm going to come back now. Off he goes. You're checking it out. thousand bucks. Sure it is. 10 100 rand notes. He comes back in a minute and says, thanks, man. Just, just give me one. I, I'll just, you can keep the rest. I'll just take the one. And off he goes. How are you going to feel? Good. You're going to feel grateful. You'll be like, wow, thanks. You just gave me 900 rand for nothing. 900 bucks of cold hard cash for nothing. It's the same way we should feel every month. You get given money for nothing. You don't own it. You didn't earn it. God gave it to you, but we're so entitled. I worked hard for this. I toiled. I did this. God didn't make me who I am. Of course he did. I'm going to use myself as an example. I'm a graphic designer. Okay, I need a computer to do my work. I bought this thing. Damn straight I did. A lot of money. I bought it. I'm the one who opens doors for myself. I get the opportunities, right? It's me. I, I developed the talent. I developed the skill. It's all me. You're, I use my hands that, that I... I I created, and and the breath that I breathe, I put in my own, okay, 
I get it. Nothing I own. You can trace it right back. You can trace it right back to your very life. Nothing that you have belongs to you. You own nothing. God gives you everything, every ability, everything. You might say, I bought this laptop. Sure. But with, with what money? Where did you start? You started as nothing. God created you in your mother's womb. You did not. You have no role to play in this. Everything traces back to God. Let's go back to our scripture. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I thought we weren't meant to test the Lord our God. We aren't, unless he tells you to. And here he does. He says, test me in this. And I will bless you that your barn overflows. You'll be in the situation where you're thinking, I should probably build a bigger barn. Because I'm going to pour out the riches of heaven. Let's give it a go. Let's put God to the test. He said we can. Commit to giving, to bringing back what God has already brought to you. We get it all wrong. We think we have, now we must give. No, he gives and now we have. We need to flip our perspective on our money. Okay, number two, invest more than you spend. Okay, now I'm not talking about stocks or, or unit trusts or retirement annuities. I have, I have no say on that. I'm talking about heavenly investments. So Matthew 6 verse 19 to 21 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth. We know the scripture. They can all get messed up. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where nothing can touch them. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Every second of every day we have a choice. To, on how to spend our time, how to spend our talents, our resources, our money. Everything we have, we have a choice. Are we going to spend it or are we going to invest it? So we can spend 40 minutes watching a show on Netflix or we can spend 40 minutes praying for our teenage kids or our boss or our colleague. Instead of spending time, we can invest it in heavenly riches. We can spend our money on the next new toy, or we can give to a local missionary, or, or pay a single mom's rent for a month, or, or buy your domestic worker two extra bags of groceries. Instead of spending a whole weekend stuck in the same old rituals, all the bad habits, why not give up your weekend to come to something like Encounter 3 and invest? Invest in your identity, invest in your legacy. Invest in something that's actually going to give you a heavenly return. Those of you who have traveled to a foreign country will know you need to take your South African rands and you've got to exchange them for the, for the currency that is used in that country. But you've got to be careful. You can't just take your life's savings uh, and exchange it all because when you come back to your country of origin, uh, that currency is generally useless. It's completely worthless, okay? In South Africa, you can buy nothing with a Mexican peso, okay? You cannot do it. It's worthless. How many of you see where I'm going here? 
We are not from this earth. We are foreigners. That is, this is not our homeland. So why do we spend so much time accruing stuff in the currency of this place? Why do we build riches in this earth that will be completely worthless when we finally arrive home? Your car, your house, your monthly paycheck, all of its collective value drops to zero when you arrive back home. We need to start investing offshore. We need to start investing in heaven. Okay, and finally, number three, is my keyboardist in the house. Someone can run and grab her for me, please. Not all at once. Okay, oh, there she pops up. Thanks, Nicola. Okay. I read of um, two really incredible stories, incredible stories recently. And the first of them is, um, is that of a, of a little girl named Hattie Mae Wyatt, a six-year-old girl who attended Grace Baptist Church in Philadelphia, USA. The Sunday school was very crowded, and the minister told her that one day they would have buildings big enough to allow everyone to attend. She said, I hope you will. It's so crowded, I'm afraid to go there alone. He replied, when we get the money, we will construct one large enough to get all the children in. Two years later, in 1886, at the age of eight, Hattie Mae Wyatt died. After the funeral, Hattie's mother gave the minister a little bag that they had found under their daughter's pillow, containing 57 cents in change that she had saved up. Alongside it was a note in her handwriting that said to help build bigger so that more children can go to Sunday school. Well, the minister changed all that money into pennies and offered each one for sale. He received $250, and 54 of those cents were given back. That $250 was again changed into pennies and sold once more. In this way, her 57 cents kept on multiplying. 26 years later, in a talk entitled The History of the 57 Cents, the minister explained the result of her 57 cent donation. A church with a membership of over 5,600 people, a hospital where tens of thousands of people had been treated, 80,000 young people going through university, 2,000 people going out to preach the gospel. And all of this happened because Hattie Mae Wyatt invested her 57 cents. The second story is of an ordinary couple who attend um, one of the Life Church campuses in the States. And they're unable to have children, but they consider the church to be their home and the church to be their family. So they recently decided to call up their lawyer and have their last will and testament changed so that the only beneficiary was Life Church in the States. Everything they own on this earth is going back into their church. And they reasoned that if their money could play a small part in just building another campus or going to, to missions where there's an opportunity for one person to raise their hand and say, I want, I want to know this Jesus, then they considered that a worthwhile investment. Their life savings for one soul. 
That for me is just incredible. You know, I used to think that there were two things that you couldn't take into heaven. Or two things you could no longer do in heaven, should I say. One of them is you can no longer sin. Second one is that you can no longer win souls for Jesus. You can no longer reach people for the kingdom of God. But I'm starting to doubt that second one. If we are wise with our money and we invest in heavenly things, in heavenly riches, our legacy, the legacy of the money and the legacy of our investment can bring souls into the kingdom of God long after we have gone through the pearly gates. And that for me is an encouragement. Won't you stand with me? I want, us to, I want us to dream together about what could God do through a congregation, through a people, through individuals who are completely sold out and surrendered for Jesus in every aspect, in every facet of their lives. What if we realize that we own nothing and everything comes from the Lord? How much more generous could we be? How many more souls could we see in the kingdom of heaven? What we're investing in now is going to come to nothing. That what we invest into the kingdom of heaven reaps an eternal reward. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.